morning to one and all. Morning, uh, good morning to those of you who are worshiping us online as well. Again, as Selena has mentioned, we hope you can join us in person as the Lord enables you. So, welcome back to installment number three on the sermon series on the theology of healing. Installment number one, just a very quick recap. Two weeks ago, we focused on the uh, resting on the sufficient and the finished work of Jesus Christ. Truly, it is finished. Jesus has paid the full price for our redemption, atonement, and also the sickness and sin. Installment number two, we focus on character and nature of God, that God is always good and He desires to heal. His name is Jehovah Rapha. And today we want to focus on God's power and authority to heal. So not only is He good, but He actually has authority and power to heal. But before we get there, I think it's important also to address uh, people who work in the medical profession. So first of all, I want to invite those of you who work in the medical profession, uh, would you just stand where you are? If you are retired, you will say, can you also stand? We want to thank you and honour you. So not just doctors and nurses, but also those in the pharmaceutical industry, uh, physiotherapists, so and so forth. If you are in this line, medical field, would you just stand where you are, please? Yes, yes, thank you. Hey, I know some of you, why are you not standing? Huh? Ah, Jeremy Chu, yes, yes, thank you very much. Alright, please be seated. Uh, those of you watching online, sorry, I cannot see you, but God knows who you are and your service uh, to humanity as well. So, my philosophy, my thinking is quite simple in a sense. God created this world with all its hidden treasures, including physics, chemistry, biochemistry, right, and all the herbs for healing. And so, if God has created this world and He hidden, hides all these treasures everywhere, it is really for us, humanity, to uncover these things and use them, research and so forth, for God's glory. I also believe God has created each of us with a purpose and destiny. That He has a very specific calling for each of us. And for some of us, we are called to the medical profession. And that is why I want to honour all of you. Those of you who do research in biomedical sciences, work in the healthcare sector as doctors, nurses, therapists, and so on and so forth. But also beyond just physical healing, but even the psychological healing. We are all partners together with God. So our bishop, if you haven't read the Methodist message, I commend to you either the hard copy or the online copy. You can refer it for yourself. He and I, we hold the same view. We heartily endorse really the work of all who work in the medical profession. And it's not just us. Actually, it's a long history of this uh, understanding as well. So it's important while I do preach about divine healing, God's supernatural healing, I want you to understand that actually I also encourage and support those in the medical profession as well. For myself, I had uh, some persistent stomach ailments. So there are three things I do. Of course, number one, I keep praying. I speak healing to my own stomach and stuff like that. But secondly, I also learn to take care of my diet. It's personal responsibility. Don't always eat the wrong things, right? But thirdly, I also go and find the doctor. So recently, uh, this year, I went for endoscopy, colonoscopy, and the doctors who attended me, they were also Christians. So I commend to you, really, it's not choosing one or the other. It's often going hand in hand. I thank God also for, again, the medical team who attended to me, a fellow believers. Now, John Wesley, too, was also very pastoral in his approach. He wasn't just preaching the good news as we typically see him preaching, right, the, the pictures of him preaching, but actually he was also very pastoral in treating physical ailments using natural remedies. Now, he's a pastor for the lay people. He was always concerned for the poor and needy, and the, need, the needy didn't have resources or money to consult doctors. So he wrote a book entitled Primitive Physique. An easy and natural method of curing most diseases. <laughs> right? And so he was also, like I say, very pastoral. For example, I read here, uh, most of it actually I don't understand. Huh? But the few that I understand includes how do you treat a bee sting? 
put honey. Wow, quite good, huh? Quite interesting. Deafness from earwax. What do you do? He says, syringe the ear with warm water. Then he put that try. So he will put things like try, didn't try, try. Right? So uh, many other illnesses and physical ailments, he would try on himself, on the people that he know, and then he wrote, he wrote this book. Whether you want to try it or not, uh, I leave it to you, huh? <laughs> to your wisdom. But there's another book I want to comment to us, uh, which is written by a modern scholar, uh, Supernatural Occurrences of John Wesley by Daniel Jennings. So the first book I just now I held up was written by John Wesley himself, but this book is uh, Daniel Jennings basically combed through all the journals of John Wesley and he extracted out supernatural occurrences where God did miraculous things, uh, not just in the area of healing, but all the supernatural miracles. And so reading these two together tells me that actually many times we make a false dichotomy. We don't have to choose between natural and divine healing. There is no false, this is a false dichotomy. The two very often go hand in hand. God really can heal in both ways. So back to sermon number one. As I mentioned, we all face the realities of sicknesses and diseases because we live in a fallen world. That's it, right? So we don't think to ourselves, it's because of one sin, therefore I have one sickness. It doesn't work like that. We are just living in the fallen world, the downstream effects of a fallen world. Neither is it a lack of faith that we fall sick. All remain sick. And this is very important for all of us to bear in mind. It is not because we have a lack of faith that we have fallen sick or we continue to remain sick. It is again simply the effect of a fallen world. So please don't lay unnecessary guilt on people who are already feeling very discouraged by the illness or very you know, weak. So don't discourage them further by laying on them this guilt. Oh, you have sinned, therefore you are sick. No, please don't like that or you have no faith. Remember, the devil's goal is to bring destruction, chaos, disease, but God's goal is to bring life, healing, restoration. And also we need to be clear that just because God doesn't heal every earthly illness doesn't mean He doesn't want to. Let me say that again. Just because God doesn't heal every single earthly illness doesn't mean that He doesn't want to. Give you a parallel analogy. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise as some understand slowness. In other words, many of us have a misunderstanding of who God is because we have our human expectation. Then he goes on, instead he is patient with you. God is slow, but he's actually demonstrating patience with us. And in the spiritual sense, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So he does not want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. When you ask ourselves, do we see people dying without knowing Jesus Christ? The reality is yes. But does that reflect God's will? And the answer is no. Just because we see people dying without the gospel of Jesus Christ does not mean that God does not want them you know, to, to be safe. So there are mysteries and complexities that we don't fully understand, which we'll address next week. We don't understand why for some people, healing is immediate. For some others, healing is gradual. But whether we die in good health or bad health, the reality we, and we must understand and hold on to is that we all must await the resurrected body. So whether we die in good health or bad health, we all still have to wait for the resurrected body. Because as I mentioned in my first sermon, death to some extent is God's mercy to humanity that so that this perishable body will die, then we can inherit the imperishable. What we must be clear is don't be confused and think that God does not want to heal just because we are not healed. 
Understand? This is very clear. We cannot think that God does not want to heal because I am not healed. Now, how do I see again all this tension uh, between the natural and the supernatural healing? I really liken it to a soccer team trying to score a goal. And by the way, this is really an analogy I use for myself. And analogies, if you push it too far, surely it will break down at some point. But hopefully this will help you uh, to understand how I see these things. So at first, we were all of us, we were not soccer players. We were not the enemies of God, as it were. But God found us, He founded a team, and He brought all of us and formed all of us into this big soccer team. Now God's desire, God the Father's desire, is of course for the soccer team to score goals, to win the game, right? And there are 11 players on the field and many other reserves but we are all playing towards the same goal, which is to score the goal and to win. Now, in this analogy of mine, Jesus is both the player as well as the coach, because you can see both things, right? And and he's if the player, I probably imagine him to be the goalkeeper, right? He's our defender, he's always defending the goal, right? But he's also the captain of the team, so that's how I see him. And if you know the game of soccer, goalkeepers hardly score goals, right? But when they do, whoa, the whole stadium erupts. What an incredible free kick goal or penalty goal by the goalkeeper. And so I liken God to like that. You know, when he does a supernatural healing, it's miraculous. It's wonderful and we all cheer. But it doesn't mean that the rest of the team doesn't score. In my understanding, the strikers, the attackers are the gifted evangelists, the healing evangelists. And they are the ones scoring the goal most of the time because God placed them in their position, their calling, their gifting. God made them. You go and score the goal. Most of the time, it's done by them. The rest of us are the rest of the team, including the medical professions. Right? We are there together as a team. It really doesn't matter who scores the goal. The main thing is as long as there's a goal. So on that note, let me also address what I see as the goal. What is God's desire when he talks about the scope of healing? God desires to heal holistically. The inside, the internal, the external, as well as the relational. By internal, I don't just mean the internal organs, huh? <laughs> but as I call it, as more the physical, but internal in the sense of the emotional, right? The forgiveness, the peace, that's the, emotion, the internal part. There's also, of course, the more tangible external components, and God does heal. But oftentimes, people forget that relational dimension. Because of sin, sin has destroyed not just as us as individuals, but primarily in terms of relationship with others. And so when God desires to heal, everything he does has all three dimensions, to heal you inwardly, externally, physically, as well as relationally with himself and with others. So that's the goal I'm talking about when I talk about healing. So many times, unfortunately, during healing services, we tend to focus on the physical. And we think that, oh, Pastor Anthony, no, he's thinking about physical healing. It's not true. I want to clarify, it's really very holistic understanding of what God desires to save and to heal. Even medical science in the, in the past decades have grown to see the importance of inner healing, psychological healing. Right? So we have all these dimensions now. So it's important that we do not construct a theology based on our lack of experiences. Just because God didn't heal me in this, therefore God does not do these things. We have always to base upon the Word of God. And it's also important when we talk about all these dimensions, I don't get to decide which one God wants to heal first or which is more important. I let God guide. I let God decide. Sometimes physical healings come first. Then the person opens up their heart. Say, I want to receive Jesus Christ. But other times, they have to deal with the emotional healing. Then the physical dimension of healing comes. As we read today, Sir Mark chapter 2. 
A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even the outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, understandable, right? I mean, the whole house is packed. They made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, not the faith of the paralyzed man, but their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts and he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. And this means everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. This is the wonderful word of God. Thanks be to God. Come, let us pray. Oh Lord Jesus, glorify yourself once again in our midst. And not just for us who are seated here physically, but all who will hear this word declare that truly you will demonstrate your glory as you have done in days of old. Do it again, Lord, because, Lord, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's try to imagine we are hearing this account for the very first time. For most of us, it's not new, but let's try to imagine we are hearing this account for the very first time. Put yourself in the shoes of the listener. Which is easier to say? To say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk? Which is easier? Your sins are forgiven, right? Because talk is cheap, what? How do I know whether you are truly forgiven? I just say to you, nah, your sins are forgiven. But Jesus knows that he truly has authority to forgive sins. And that's why later on when they, they question him, are you truly the God? Are you blaspheming God? He says, to let you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I will demonstrate by healing this man. Get up and walk. And so when Jesus made the paralyzed man walk, he basically validated the power and authority of his words. So physical healing, this visible healing, is very often a very powerful demonstration of God's unseen, invisible, but very real spiritual authority and power. Let me say that again. That physical, the visible healing is a very powerful demonstration of God's invisible, but very real spiritual authority and power. And by the way, authority and power are not synonyms. Huh? There's a big difference between the two. Power is about the ability to do something about it. Authority is what has been entrusted to you. So think of a policeman. The policeman has authority to go and arrest criminals. Correct? But the policeman may not have the power as in the fitness to arrest a criminal. I'll give you a more extreme example. For example, Usain Bolt. This is not real, of course, but imagine Usain Bolt committed a crime. Any policeman has the power to chase after Usain Bolt? Nobody. Anyone can chase after Kevin Kitten, for example, the new marathon record runner? No policeman has the power to do it. They have full authority, but they have no power to do it. But Jesus has both authority and power to forgive sins and to heal. In the course of these few years of uh, pushing for healing services in our midst, 
I have been asked, for example, why do I emphasize testimonies? What's the place of testimonies? Why do I talk about stories of persevering faith too, where people you know, have to persevere, who are unhealed, but they continue to believe in God? Now my first response is this, I really want to honor those of you who are persevering by faith. You don't see the results or the breakthrough yet, but you continue to hold on to your faith in God. But in terms of practicality, in one sermon, I cannot be achieving two things. I either build up faith and increase faith. I cannot in the same sermon douse that fire or the Holy Spirit by telling people, it's okay, lah, just hang in there. In one sermon, you cannot have two objectives. That is a very self-defeating approach. But again, next week I will address why healing and what if healing doesn't occur, what should we do? But again, I want to say I honor those of you who are persevering, waiting for that breakthrough. But in one sermon, I cannot do both. And so I ask for testimonies to build up faith. I share testimonies to build up faith. Secondly, I believe this is the general direction of scriptures because the scriptures record testimonies. Do the scriptures record Jesus' failures or his successes? The answer is the successes, the testimonies. Were the gospel writers unsympathetic to those who weren't healed? We don't think of that, but how come you all sometimes label that pastor as unsympathetic? Now, I want to be clear about two things here. Number one, I am not naive. I have grown, of course, you all have seen me grown as a pastor as well. I conduct more wakes and funerals than most of you attend, right? I see death in my face quite often. I have struggled with the reality of children dying prematurely, prayers unanswered. I've seen how situations are dragged out many times without a solution. I hear more cases of people in pain than most of you here. I have a long list of people to intercede for. I know of many who are not healed after years of prayer. So I am not naive when I push for the ministry of healing, simply because I know who God is. And certainly it doesn't mean I'm not sympathetic to those in pain. But I want to say the second point is, I do not claim to be more compassionate than God. And this is an important area of our renewal of mind. Many times from our limited point of view, we wrongly think that we always have to plead with God, God, please, 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 please heal. It was our district superintendent, Reverend Ruben Ng, one day at a conversation with him about this area of healing and so forth. He lovingly rebuked me and he said, Anthony, we are never more compassionate than God. We are never more compassionate than God. And that loving rebuke sat in my spirit and ever since then I've renewed my mind and realized, hey, how can I think that I'm more compassionate than God? Something is wrong. Something is wrong. And so I repented. And so from then on, I realized God's desire is really always to heal. So why healing doesn't occur? It's a mystery. It's complex. I'll address it next week. But for today, we need to be clear. Healing doesn't occur doesn't mean that God doesn't care about us. All right? That is very important point number one. Just because we don't see healing doesn't mean that God doesn't care about us. Secondly, it doesn't mean that we are more compassionate than God. We need to pray like crazy in order to force God's hand. These are the two extremes I advise us to not go down. So why do I ask for testimonies? Because the scriptures basically record testimonies to glorify God and point us to Jesus Christ. That's the simple realities. Testimonies point us to Jesus and His kingdom, which is forever advancing. Testimonies remind us that God is not just in the past, but He continues to be at work in our world today. Healing has always been and will always be a sign that God's kingdom has come and will continue to advance. I ask myself this question, has God stopped the advancement of His kingdom? 
since AD 33? No. God's kingdom continues to advance and I want to participate and join His kingdom work. Has God ever stopped wanting to set people free? The answer is no. And therefore, I continue to join Him in His work. And testimonies are the natural result of God's work because I believe God is alive. I expect to see testimonies. Now, some of you might think to yourself and then you retort, but God doesn't need us to defend Him. God doesn't need us to defend Him. Pastor Anthony, He can defend Himself. And I agree to some extent. But testimonies do help to really increase our faith. We are, at the end of the day, human and we are weak. And these testimonies help us to increase our faith. And again, as mentioned, the general direction of Scripture is to highlight God's work through testimonies. Just look at the conclusion of John's Gospel. John chapter 20, verse 30 to 31. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of His disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So testimonies are to point us to Jesus and then we continue to advance the kingdom of God. But finally, I push for testimonies because I think it's a very concrete way, a very practical way for us to express our gratefulness, our thankfulness to the Lord. Remember how Jesus once he healed 10 lepers, but only one came back to say thank you to him. Let's not be like the other nine lepers, okay? If God has done something for us, we need to testify. It doesn't have to be a public stage like this, even though later on I'll give you an opportunity to do that. It can be in your own testimonies to people around you, but always testify. And so I was very happy uh, when the Methodist message, they published a testimony this month. Again, if you haven't read it, you can pick up a hard copy. You can always read it online. And so I share with you verbatim a testimony that's recorded in the Methodist message for this month. It was early spring and the temperature was unusually cold for this time of the year. So obviously this is not Singapore. Huh? <laughs> Sadly, we had received a request to arrange a funeral for Sister Z, an 87-year-old church member. She had been suffering from liver failure and the doctor told her family that she had only a few days to live. Her son, who is also a Christian and a doctor, wanted a grand funeral for her. We were told to prepare for the worst. Immediately, we mobilized the church to pray for her and arranged to visit her before she was called back to the Lord. When we visited her in the hospital, she had many tubes inserted into her, including a feeding tube. She could not talk. Looking at her condition, it appeared it would only be a matter of time before she passed on. Together with some church members at the hospital, we prayed over her and we held fast to our faith. We prayed for a special healing for Sister Z, although it looked like her condition would only deteriorate. After praying, we went home and we contacted the undertaker to prepare for the funeral. Anybody can identify? This is what most of us would do anyway, right? That night, Sister Z had a dream. In her dream, she saw four evil spirits around her. They were waiting to snatch and drag her away. As she was dying, a tall, bright, white figure appeared to her. The, this bright figure began to kick the evil spirits from her. And after these evil spirits ran away, a bright light overwhelmed her and she felt a warm feeling in her spirit. Remember I preached earlier, the reason the Son of God appeared is to destroy the works of the evil one. So when she woke up in the morning, the doctors were surprised to find that all her vital signs were back to normal. All the tubes were subsequently removed from her body Miraculously, she was well enough to be discharged from the hospital the next day. <laughs> we visited her again, this time at her home. She was able to walk and she was in high spirits. She told us how Jesus had healed her. Apparently, she had passed away that fateful night but was revived two hours later. 
Who revived her? I believe it was the medical team, right? With all the equipment. But yet we believe it's a resurrection because we believe God has given to her a new lease of life to share this testimony of a miraculous resurrection and healing. It is summer now. So far, we have not heard of any need for funeral arrangements to be made. Sister Z has regained her health. We praise God for the amazing healing she has received. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord indeed. So as we return to our passage in Mark chapter 2, notice who are the people who have faith in this account. It's not the paralyzed man. It's not known whether the paralyzed man had faith or not. It's the friends. Jesus saw the faith of the friends and then proclaimed healing for the paralyzed man. Maybe the paralyzed man was so paralyzed, can't even talk, which is quite normal if you are in a stroke situation, for example, right? And so we learn from this short episode, while faith is important for healing, and I cannot say that there is no need for faith at all, at the same time, I want to caution us to say that there isn't always a direct relationship between faith and healing or rather a lack of faith and a lack of healing. Let me say that again. More faith is important for healing because in the Gospels, it's recorded many times, woman, your faith has made you well. Centurion, your faith has made you whatever, your son well, well, and so so forth, your daughter well. So faith is important for healing, but there isn't necessarily a direct relationship between lack of faith and lack of healing. What I'm taking away from this short account is the importance for us to bring others before the Lord in intercession and prayer. Be like the friends. Be like the friends of this paralyzed man. Let's bring the concerns and burdens of others before God in prayer. We have a worshipper in our midst, uh, Sister Sister Silver. Can I get her to stand, please, where she is? Uh, well, she's over there, uh, caller number three. If I have to stand. Thank you. Uh, please be seated. So she came up to me uh, to... Uh, on 8th of October, two Sundays ago, she testified how previously she used to walk with a walking stick. Today, did she even bring the walking stick? No, there's no walking stick. Right? We really praise and thank God for that. Please be seated. Thank you, Sylvia. Importantly, I want to encourage us because after that, because God healed her, the next thing she did was she asked me, can I bring a friend to church? I said, of course. She experienced God's healing. And last week, she brought her friend. I told her healing service is this week. But it's okay. You can just bring God, your friend to God anytime because God is always available. We have our human schedule, but God is always available. So she brought her friend last week and we want to really celebrate and pray that her friend will also receive that healing touch. So let's be bold and courageous. We want to really invite people, bring people to the Lord. But let me say here as well, when we invite people to meet the Lord, let's also do it with love, and kindness and respect. Good EQ, uh, basically good EQ. Never force someone against their will, either to come to church or to receive prayer. If they're not willing, you pray quietly. You don't force them and they become a bad Christian witness in the process. Right? So while we bring these concerns to the Lord, we never force people against their will. If you look at scriptures, Jesus will often ask the people who came up to him for healing, what is it that I can do for you? What do you want? And this tells me that very often Jesus wants us to express our personal desire, to take personal ownership. And that's important. That's an expression of faith. One expression of faith, that we desire something from the Lord. Since we're on this topic of faith as well, maybe I should also address another important area, which is about the word of faith movement. 
some of us have read about it, some of us haven't. So let me just briefly summarize. This is really a caricature of this very big movement uh, in certain Christian schools. But basically, it's a particular school of healing which teaches that if you confess that word of faith, you will be healed. So they often say things like, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. So I want to hold attention here. I think there's this side of denial, <laughs> which is not very healthy, even though it's, you are really sick, but you just say, I'm healed, I'm healed. I mean, that's one side I want to caution against. At the same time, I also want to say that we shouldn't be too judgmental and say that definitely they're always wrong. We really need to recognize and hold attention. Biblical narratives, as I mentioned earlier, clearly emphasize the importance of faith. So faith is important in many ways. It's just that it's not a direct correlation. There are many examples of healing that took place because of faith. Yet, we also must recognize there is no prescribed formula when it comes to ascertaining whether someone has faith or not. How do you see whether someone has faith or not? Seeing a doctor doesn't mean you have no faith, right? But confessing daily, I'm healed, I'm healed, doesn't mean you have faith either. Faith is immeasurable, invisible. But neither should we judge people whether they express their faith with their words or not. If for them, their faith is at this level, they want to confess it and say, I'm healed, God bless you. That's your way you express your faith. That's fine. That's a simple way for you to, to grasp your walk with the Lord. That's okay. For me, it's not about having faith in faith. Neither is it about confessing or not confessing. Only God knows the kind of faith that we have. The problem I see is this. We human beings, we like things to be quantifiable, objective, or the formula. <laughs> and so when you say, I'm healed, I'm healed, it becomes a simple formula. And for some, of course, it becomes a slippery slope. It doesn't really help the situation. But for others, maybe that's all the simple faith that they need. Who are we to judge whether you know, they have faith or not? So again, the nature of faith is that it is not measurable. And faith is also long-suffering. It is not just in one instance. But I will not throw the baby out with the bathwater and just dismiss everybody just because they claim to be exercising their faith. Importantly, faith must always be grounded in Scripture. And here are the four things in this four sermon series I will keep repeating. Number one is believing that Jesus' work on the cross is final, complete, and more than sufficient. We don't need anything else except what Jesus has done. Second is believing that God's nature, His character is always good. He will never send the disease to punish us. Third, as we learn in today's scripture, He has the authority and the power to heal. He has both authority and power. And fourth, next week we'll talk about believing in God even when we don't see, even when we're still suffering, that God knows. He's sovereign and He knows what is best for us. So true faith is always rooted in God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and His Word. Faith is also seen in action and obedience. An important side of faith is seen in action and obedience. Now, if that's also too cheap for you, too difficult for you, let me simplify it. How do you know that you have faith? What is the action? For me, when you pray. When you pray, you demonstrate faith. Because if you have no faith, you will not talk to God about it. You wouldn't pray. You wouldn't ask other people to pray because you don't believe God will heal at all. And so the practical demonstration for me for faith is when you pray. But I won't give you any formula lah, what to say and stuff like that. It's between you and God. But whenever you pray, for me, that's already a sign that you have faith. 
What is unhelpful, I want to caution us again, is to be very antagonistic towards healing ministry, something that goes along the line, either for yourself or for others. For yourself, what is unhelpful is to think, for example, yeah, God can heal, but if God wants to heal me, He knows my address. <laughs> that is pride, if you ask me. You basically saying, God, come and show us. Fight off, show off. If you know me, come and find me. What, on the other hand, is very unhelpful also is to dismiss all the preachers under these two umbrellas, word of faith or health and wealth, prosperity gospel, and throw everything out. Just because there are some bad eggs doesn't mean that God is not well and working in our world still. My bugbear actually with many of the critics is that many of these critics, they don't minister in healing. They criticize from the sidelines. It's like watching the soccer game, right? Wow, this armchair keyboard warrior can talk a lot. Ah. Wow, this player should have done that, lah, done that, pass here, why don't cross there? My mind, in my mind, hey, you come and join the game. <laughs> don't just talk. Come and suffer. Pray alongside he- minister healing. That's what we should be doing. Don't give commentaries. But let's join in the work of God together. Don't build fences of theologies and certainly don't set game rules when you are not the one playing the game. Seen from another angle, faith is also important to be accompanied by humility. Because only those uh, who are humble are those who are willing to submit their lives completely to God. and say, God, my life is yours. Whatever it is, my life is yours. I will fully surrender my life to you. If God tells me to wash in a pool of Siloam, something crazy, right? Put mud on my eyes, go and wash, I will go. Because I humble myself, I think the supernatural way of healing as God has revealed. But if God says to me, go and see the doctor, I humble myself. I don't say, God, you must heal me only this way. I go and see the doctor. So in faith is also must be accompanied by humility. Whatever God says, if it's both ways, I submit. We lay down our pride. We say, God, we recognize who you are. I lay down my pride. Whatever way you want to minister healing, I will follow you. And again, before I leave this last point of faith, again, let me return to the point. It's important that we always exercise faith also for our loved ones. Your intercession and your prayer for your loved ones is so precious. Don't lose sight of that. Keep praying and trusting God. As we close, let me share with you a verbal team a testimony I received from one of our own members as well. And he's here in our midst today. Let me invite Mr. Rodney Chung to stand right in front here. Now, this is a testimony he sent. Thank you. Please be seated through email to me. So I'm going to read it uh, verbatim. Profile, my brother Eddie. So it's not him, huh? his brother. He's a lecturer, part-time, 71 years old, married with two grown-up boys, all married with children, and the family is Christian. His discipline in his lifestyle does not smoke or drink, perhaps a bit kiasi. <laughs> Our Singaporean term, uh, scared of dying. Uh, normal, right? He golfs, which is normal. During our 2023 Lunar New Year get-together, Eddie was telling us about his health problems. He had rashes and strange-looking bloody patches under his skin on his chest, back and arms. Many tests and diagnoses had been carried out by the hospital a month or two ago, yet the medical team were not able to establish what is wrong. And sometime in March 2023, they advised that he has lymphoma cancer. Everything crumbled in his eyes. He asked, Lord, why me? Don't we always ask that? (laughs) Lord, why me? And he has been a believer as long as I remember. 
chemotherapy treatment starts, spreads into several months. He stays at home between visits to the hospital trips. He became weaker by the days. He asked for no visitors and is advised by the doctors that one has low immunity while undergoing such treatment. And we all pray for the Lord's healing. I think those of us who journey with cancer patients, we know, right? We generally try to leave them alone because of their low immunity. Sometime in May 2023, while chemo sessions were being carried out weekly or fortnightly, he collapsed with breathing difficulties at home. He was rushed to A&E immediately. My nephew kept us abreast of what is happening in that few hours at a 24-hour surveillance room. Strictly, only one family member at a time for visiting the room, and those few hours seemed very long. Thanks to the sympathetic attendant staff, he closed one eye. <laughs> he and his brother were let in to see the, at about 2 a.m. So instead of one at a time, they let two people in, I think most likely because the situation isn't very optimistic. He was on various apparatus support, heart, lungs, kidney, etc. Tubes all over his face, throat, the eye, my eyes of my eldest brother and I somehow met. We seemed to express the same thoughts to each other. Before we reached him, my, ma- my nephew had told us that the doctors told his immediate family to prepare for the last hour. His cell members, his children, the siblings, church members and friends, we all prayed for a miracle. The Lord can, the Lord will. That very morning, a decision was made to try a new but experimenting drug. If it does not work, if it does not work there is no return. He has not been endorsed by the authority, perhaps because there were not many trials, many misses. But why not take the chance? Today, Eddie is at home, high in spirit. He walks with a walking stick now. Yes, praise the Lord. He will tell his friends and relatives that the Lord healed him. He tells them that so many people prayed for him. Praise to the Lord. Last line. Pastor, let people hear this miracle. It is the Lord's work. Healing. All glory to God. Praise the Lord. Come, let us pray together. What is your situation and need today? Does it seem hopeless, difficult? Today we heard two wonderful, amazing testimonies. People on their deathbeds, but God was able to intervene. Friends, won't you believe again? For those of you watching online, especially many shut-ins, I know who you are. Your legs are deteriorating, the weakening of your legs makes it difficult to come to church. We can accept, of course, the natural process of aging. But we can also allow our faith to arise again and to believe and speak strength into our legs, speak healing, just as Sister Sylvia experienced. What is your need? Let us humbly come before the Lord and bring before Him either our own needs, whether internal, external or relational, or the needs of others. I invite you to stand as we sing and declare this song, I just want to speak the name of Jesus. I speak Jesus.